I would say I do believe I'm a good example. I'm a leader. I'm defining uh, certain parts of Google's product strategy. I'm defining our uh, industry solutions. I'm working with the biggest companies across the world. And I'm at home in Denmark, the smallest corner of the world. And I'm at home because I have two kids. They're 10 and 12. They need their mom. I'm divorced, so they're here every second week. I can't live in California one week and one week here. But I'm able to connect with people everywhere around the world. Of course, I traveled occasionally, but but technology has enabled collaboration in a whole other way. And therefore, it is possible to both be a caring mom who's present and engages in life and even extracurricular activities while also being driven. You're listening to Transform Talks, a podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. I'm delighted to bring you part two of my conversation with the head of supply chain and logistics at Google Cloud, Louisa Loren. If you haven't already, I would definitely recommend that you check out part one of my conversation with Louisa, as she provides some absolutely fascinating insights into the work she's currently doing at Google. As for this week, though, Louisa and I focus on a topic that we're both equally passionate about, which is leadership. Throughout her career, Louisa has spearheaded a number of digital transformation projects, and she's done so whilst challenging existing organizational processes, which in turn has created opportunities and driven growth. I was therefore very keen to sit down with her to better understand how she's been able to communicate her vision as a supply chain leader. During this part of our conversation, Louisa and I discussed her leadership role models, the difference between IQ versus EQ, and how to successfully implement a yes and culture. So I hope you enjoy part two. I want to move the, the, the podcast, the interview, a little bit around to something else that you've been talking about, which is leadership. Um, you know, but before I dive in on uh, the whole topic of leadership, I, I'm just curious. I'd like to know if there's anyone that you look up to from a leadership perspective, anyone that you model yourself on. Oh, really, really hard to say. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. I, I uh, like to meet a lot of um, different people, listen to a lot of different books. Uh, sorry, listen to a lot of different podcasts, read different books. I like to combine the business drive with some of the softer sides, whether it's empathy, philosophy, uh, psychology, etc. Because I do believe that that many leaders and that I'm, I'm ducking the question, I'm very aware. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> but I, I think I look up to leaders who balance drive and empathy. Um, and, and those are the leaders who also make the tough decisions and, and say that, for instance, in, in current times where there are many things that are uncertain, um, it's also about asking people to step up and say, how do we become differentiating? How do we become more productive? Um, instead of just saying, well, it will all be fine until one day it's not. Um, so that's the type of leader I look up to. Any, so you really ducked that question really well, by the way, you know? So, uh, 
I, I think I agree with you. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure we, we could have a whole completely other podcast on all the bad leaders we've seen. You know, I, I've got stories that could go on for a very long time of bad leaders that we've seen. I'll, I'll tell you one anecdote on that. I, I, oh, uh, yes, I, please do. In uh, November, I, I was at an executive um, yeah, a course um, at a uh, very, very prestigious Ivy League college uh, or university, sorry. Uh, I will not name them now, but um, we were 30 people from around the world participating in this virtually. And the professor um, was talking about uh, leadership in a crisis situation. And he said, so it's really important at this point in time that you are very, very firm, that you do not uh, waver in any way, that you do not uh, hold your breath or anything, that you are very consistent and firm. And uh, all of us leaders, we basically started to challenge him and say, well, we don't believe that that generates the fellowship that's required today. There are too many opportunities for people to to go elsewhere, to uh, quite quit, all these type of things that actually you do need to show that this is a person you want to follow. His response was, I will show you where money has flowed and where leaders are today. So he was just reconfirming the old God and all his stats were saying, this is how these people got here. But the, the flip side of course is that is not what's defining the future. And it was quite interesting that that his only argument was this is what has driven the past. And I do think that these are some of the things that are really happening at current time. If you think of people who are generating followership now, it's people with courage. I can think of a, a certain leader who was very followed before, but because potentially his ego took over and uh, he went from auto making into uh, social media. Gee, I wonder who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. He's not displaying the same form of courage and, and therefore not getting the same uh, level of followership, right? Well, I think, I think I mean, again, this could be a whole other podcast, but the, the, the thing with leadership is that we are living in a bit of a different time. Um, what I mean by that is there's so many different factors at play right now, such as a different sort of industrial revolution, right? Um, along with the pace of technological change, faster than we've ever seen it before in any moment in history. All of those things together combine for a situation where uh, the workforce is not abiding by the same rules that were there to, even in my generation and yours when we were coming up. You know, what was it like when you were first starting and when I was first starting? If our boss said jump, you said how high? Uh, and that that is exactly, and that no questions asked kind of situation. Um, I think at this point or another, we've got... I tell the story, I did a post about this the other day, that I was at uh, Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam the other uh, couple of weeks ago at, at the end of last year, and it was during the World Cup, and I was done with an event, I was you know, tired, me and my team were walking around thinking, okay, we need a beer, we need a beer and a burger before our flight. I could not find a restaurant. We walked 20 minutes, everything was closed, and I'm thinking, it's 6 p.m., during the World Cup, I would expect to see quite a lot of restaurants open with a lot of beer flowing. I'd expect it to be quite rowdy, but it was closed. Everything was closed, closed, closed. Eventually, I found this one place miles away, and I asked the server there. I said, "What happened? Why? Why are all the air, Why are there no pubs restaurant uh, open?" And she said, "Because after COVID, after everybody was let go, nobody came back, and we can't find staff." 
we can't find uh, employees. There are no employees. And I'm, so it led me to the question, well, where, where in the world are people? Where are all these people? And, uh, you know, I really, I thought about this long and hard for some time thinking, where are these people? And I know there's a lot of voices that say, well, the governments are subsidizing them. So therefore, you know, they're not working and they're lazy. I don't buy that. I think what happened is people are tired of being exploited. Younger people are tired of working for pennies, are tired of working for very low, very low income and very much hardship. And they find alternative careers, creator careers, careers being, you know, influencers on social media, careers doing you know, comp something completely different to what was on offer when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's so many alternatives. So I hear you. So with all that precursor that I've just talked about, do you think that the modern day leader has to have different attributes beyond what, 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 are, what even universities are teaching or what is in the books? For sure, absolutely. And, and, and I think, as I said, the, the good thing right now, it's still being defined. So there's space for a lot of people to step up and define it. And, and of course, we're all subjective, but, but I would say I do believe I'm a good example. I'm a leader. I'm defining uh, certain parts of Google's product strategy. I'm defining our uh, industry solutions. I'm working with the biggest companies across the world. And I'm at home in Denmark, the smallest corner of the world. And I'm at home because I have two kids. They're 10 and 12. They need their mom. I'm divorced, so they're here every second week. I can't live in California one week and one week here. But I'm able to connect with people everywhere around the world. Of course, I travel occasionally, but, but technology has enabled collaboration in a whole other way. And therefore, it is possible to both be a caring mom who's present and engages in life and even extracurricular activities while also being driven. And, and I do think that, that people um, are still, and now I'm going to slightly generalize and hopefully not get too many enemies from it. But I also think the pendulum is swinging. Like there was an era where you just had to persevere, pace for everything, right? And, and shoot for the stars. And then there are people that I, I'm not going to do that. And therefore I will do nothing, not nothing in terms of meaning in life, but nothing in terms of business contribution. And I believe in the balance. I believe that you can still be very driven, very ambitious, set the agenda, but you need to balance your energy and you need to manage your energy and know that you can pick up your kids early and take a walk in the woods and all these type of things because your decisions will be much better with that clear head. And I am a believer that that awareness was a, not as top of mind 20 years ago. But yes, I understand. I, I'm likely subjective in that point of view, but but I, I've seen leaders who have enabled me to do that and I'm proud to pave the way for more leaders to come. No, but I think, I think, you know what, it's it, maybe, maybe I'm going to get some enemies from saying this, but I think that if leaders don't adapt to this type of new working with balance, I agree with you. You know, I am also someone that believes very much in taking tough decisions in some instances, you know, that at the end of the day, the, 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 the leader has to look at so many different things, but you also have to have that level of emotional intelligence, right? Not just this IQ or business Q, you know, business quotient. It's got to be IQ plus business Q, you know, and an emotional uh, as well in order to be able to make a, a leader for today, as well as being someone who is agile as much as you possibly can. I, I completely agree. I think EQ is the 
biggest and most important trick in any business decision. Because if you can't use your emotional intelligence to understand what that person who's on your team uh, working with you or on the other side of the table is trying to get out of this, is trying to drive what motivates them, there is no way you will get that win-win relationship. Whether it's then saying, okay, I have this share data I want to share with you or whether you're selling a product or delivering a product or whatever it may be. It is the emotional intelligence that creates that desire to redefine the future together. Um, and I think that that uh, there are a lot of leaders out there who are underutilizing the skill of EQ, um, maybe because they've been taught that that was not needed in business and, and they haven't, let's say, trained that muscle yet. But um, for sure, I believe that that's the absolute most differentiating and integral ingredients for transformation. I also think that the pandemic sort of, uh, I think that this was a catalyst for change, the pandemic. I mean, I, I can give you just from my own example, um, when I used to have uh, calls or something like that on Zoom, when I was doing them from home or even from the office, I, I, I was always pretty rigid and, oh my gosh, I hope people don't, you know, just the professional environment, I hope people don't see what, you know, what I'm wearing as well, you know, was very much something that I was worried about. The pandemic sort of led us into people's houses, you know, into people's lives. I mean, now I do, you know, like here recording this with you, I've got my, one of my dogs sleeping quite literally, I think on my feet and the other one's over there. And, you know, and, and I'm sure you, you, you might see one of them in the shot. And I, and I think it's about deciding what to care about. And, and there's certain fights that you want to fight and certain fights you don't want to fight. But again, that goes back to, to, to leadership in this day and age with uh, technological advancements that we've got. You know, you're talking about a very different type of business. One of the things I like to advocate is unlearning a lot of old behaviors. For sure. I mean, it's challenging your own perceptions, right? And, and having generative conversations, which fundamentally say, well, I thought this, but, but you have moved me in a certain way. And, and I, I completely agree with you that, that for someone also to, to trust you, to follow you, all these things, you do need to show that you're human. You need to show vulnerability. You need to let your guards down. And someone has to be first, right? Uh, I remember earlier in my career, me and my team, we got told that we, we sat next to risk management, right? And we got told that we laughed too loud. And it was like, well, so is it because you can't take the calls or what is the real problem here? And of course it was because they were like, surprised and, and curious and like who are these people and, and why are they even laughing are we at work but but it has been proven time and time again that that i said uh, you follow people you you build trust with people not not processes or whatever it may be and at the same time and you also that, leave people and you also leave exactly, people. you also leave people but it also fuels energy that will increase your productivity so it is also just from a pure business roi perspective great to have true diversity of thought, true giving people confidence to, to show up as humans, also from a business sense. Well, you know what, the, no offense to the guys and guys and gals and risks, uh, you know, in the risk department, but they, they have a tough job. I imagine they were probably, you know, they were probably very, very stressed about the, they've been over the last couple of years. I bet you those people don't laugh very often. Uh, so I understand that. Uh, you just touched upon a subject that I'm also very passionate about, which is diversity, and not just in terms of diversity of having different people from different types of all kinds of uh, genders, uh, you know, orientations, you name it, with colors, shapes, sizes, but also age, I think, as well as something. So to me, 
this is what I think, which is that today's world is so crazy, right? We're so, we've got so many things that we need people that come to the table armed with perhaps different ways of thinking and different ways of looking at things. And so Google seems to be the type of organization that embraces or even embodies that kind of thinking. You've got engineers, you've got creatives, you've got so many different people around. Uh, is that something that you're bringing into the supply chain sphere? And do you think that that's going to help supply chain leaders for what's ahead? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I am a firm believer of it. And I must say, I am really, really encouraged with how Google looks at DEI. But the thing that I think is most unique is actually the E, the equity. Because acknowledging that people given the same, let's say, support will not get them the same opportunity, but acknowledging where they come from, there are all kinds of things that could put some people further ahead in the bus versus others. So actually, how do we recognize where people are and adequately lift them so they can contribute to the conversation? And I will admit that before I joined Google, I didn't really understand how important that difference was. And I think that's something that that is so deep in Google's DNA and something that hopefully the world will will embrace significantly more. And I think it is possible because it is a culture of psychological safety. It is a culture where generally everyone believes in positive intent. I've never, I mean, honestly, when I joined, I was like, yeah, when am I going to meet those angry people, the people who will tell me not to laugh, right? But, but when you create a culture which is encouraging and very much a yes and building upon each other's ideas, you do give space to some of those who are less confident at speaking up actually to gaining the courage to, to voice their opinion. And that's where you get the, the, the true diversity of thought. Uh, I, I was once at, um, at INSEAD and, and we were doing this exercise and we, uh, we were all told, okay, you're gonna be put on a, a desert island and here's a list of 20 things that you could in theory bring, rank them in the order of what you think is most important. Uh, so we all did that. And uh, then he, the, the professor said, how confident are you in your answer? And I was like, well, I'm not very confident at all. I'm not, I've not been in, on a desert island, unfortunately. And half of the work, things on the list, I didn't actually completely know what they were. So I ranked myself low. Next to me was a Navy SEAL. Uh, he had done his ranking really fast and he was super confident, right? 98% confidence. And the point of this was, of course, that both of us were wrong. However, as the professor said, they would rather pick someone like me because I knew I was wrong. And therefore, by design, I was really open. I was really curious. I was listening to all kinds of people on why they had made their choices. And only by, let's say, listening to all of them, I could do my second round of assessment. And I had changed quite a lot and gotten quite a lot better. But the Navy SEAL, he had a closed mindset and he believed that he was right. So you could put him in the most diverse group and he would still not have changed his position. Again, the, the, the Navy SEAL sort of mentality, so this particular person, I think, for a world where things are pretty much the same and cert certain, uh, there's certainty, right? Uh, I think those, those things kind of tend to work. But when you have a world where you've got so much uncertainty and black swan event after black swan event and unpredictability, I think, you know, yes, having certain, you know, being able to be confident about your uh, ideas is an important part of being a leader, but openness to different ideas. You know, I love to sit around sometimes and just, you know, just ask 
different people. So what would you do in this situation? You know, and, and I had someone write to me on LinkedIn the other day saying, hey, I'd love to talk to you because I have really different opinions to some of the things you say. My instant reaction was, yes, let's have a cup of coffee. Let's talk about it. I want to understand and learn because if I'm, you know, I mean, if, if you've got a different opinion, I want to understand why. So I think that I agree with you. Tying that to technology is also that that really today, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I have my data in a data lake. It's really nice and organized there. And I know exactly where it is. That's not being open. You need to query your data. You need to do new correlations. You need to let your machine learning models run. You need to ingest them with new knowledge. Otherwise, it's being left off the train. And I think this, it's really important that you take this behavior in both your, your presence, physical presence, but also in how you make both technology choices, but also how you use the tools. So I've got, we've got time for one more question because I've, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, can talk to you for a long time. Um, but uh, I know that you uh, sit on the board of the Copenhagen Business School. And uh, so before we wrap up, I want to know what kind of advice and what message you would give to, you know, the next generation of budding leaders. I really thoroughly enjoy the thought of thinking, how can we uh, pass on knowledge in the most meaningful way? But um, I think, honestly, the best advice is write your own narrative. Take the information in, then take the step back and decide what it means to you. It's very easy to say, okay, the new God is doing this, the old God is doing this, or whatever it means. But as we talked about, there are so many things in, in flux right now. So write your own narrative would be my biggest advice. Louisa, I want to thank you for being here on Transform Talks and for sharing so openly. And I look forward to seeing more about what Google is going to be doing in this space. Really do. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.